if you were to look at the Jewish calendar, they're celebrating the Feast of Tabernacles right now. I I think it started on Saturday, which was the 9th or 10th, uh, or Friday evening, and it goes on till next Friday evening. So I just thought it would be a good idea to revisit the Feast of Tabernacles, which we, which we touched on in 2011. Uh, so are we getting Jewish? No. We're just choosing this time when they celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles to see how it figures in the church today. So that's why I thought we'd look at it. Because when we looked at it in 2011, perhaps some of us weren't here. Hey, Prashant. So uh, let's uh, turn to Deuteronomy 16.16. Deuteronomy 16.16. Thanks, Dana. Deuteronomy 16.16. It says there, three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God. Thank God that's removed, eh? Where males and females can come. Three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, at the feast of the unleavened bread, at the feast of weeks, which is the feast of Pentecost, and the feast of booths, which is the feast of tabernacles. They shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, that he has given you. Hey guys, do you want to try something? Next week when you come, don't come empty handed. Bring something, a poem, a song, a little ode written to God, a painting, a dish. Bring something next week. Not not as a potluck. Bring something that you uh, that you crafted for God. Bring something. Your little thing. Maybe it's a drum solo by Marcus. Whatever he, whatever you want to bring. Bring something. But it should be your, um, your, your, your presenting and offering before God. It doesn't have to be money. It can be any of these things. Maybe, maybe a bake a cake with tremendous love. Or do whatever. But bring something. Try not to bring a cow or a pig or something because it's difficult here. Did I tell you once I received a goat in Kenya? Yeah. They gave me a goat as a gift. And uh, and uh, they asked if I could bring it. And then I had to explain how customs would be a problem. Because it would be hard to explain to uh, Canada, hand to customs in Canada that i got to get this goat through. And so... It doesn't have a passport yet. And so we decided to eat it and I didn't name it, but I took a photograph with it. So don't bring a cow or a pig, but other than that, uh, bring something next week. Um, Can I have a slightly more enthusiastic response or is this not a good idea? No, it's fine. It's fine. Remember... It's the best of ideas you've ever had. Thank you. (laughs) You know, I know I'm back in Vancouver. People treat me with great respect elsewhere. Yeah. So, idea, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so bring something, a song, a poem, an offering. Uh, bring an offering too. I'm not saying don't. But bring something and we'll see how next Sunday, how we'll craft the service, where there'll be a time. Perhaps we'll have lunch together and Heidi can uh, figure that one out and let me know. Uh, so look out for um, an email from Chris 
uh, if there are any changes. But bring something next week. Because so, again, let me read that. Three times a year, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God at the place that he'll choose at the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which was Passover, at the Feast of Weeks, which was Pentecost, and at the Feast of Booths, which was uh, the Feast of Tabernacles. They shall not appear before the Lord empty-handed. Every man shall give as he is able, according to the blessing of the Lord your God, uh, according to the blessing of the Lord your God that he has given you. Uh, Remind me to um, make some announcements regarding stuff to pray for before we leave, eh? Okay, so guys, the Feast of Tabernacles was the last feast of the year. And it usually occurred at the end of harvest time. In fact, the Feast of Tabernacles used to happen in the seventh month. It was the seventh um, so-called celebration or uh, seventh convocation that God had ordained for all of Israel. And why am I stressing on the seventh? Because seven is the number of completion and perfection. And it was fascinating that this feast was the seventh of all the convocations God had ordered that fell on the seventh month, lasted seven days. And it is important because as we go over some of the things that we're going to talk about today regarding the Feast of Tabernacles, it is the place that the church is supposed to dwell at, guys. And we'll see that. I mean, Leviticus 23, 33-43 will give you proof that it was the last so-called convocation after the Day of Atonement, after the Feast of Trumpets, after Pentecost, after Passover, after all those things would come the Feast of Tabernacles. 33-43. I think it might be on, your, on the top of your page. So guys, what would happen is they would stay in booths And I say booths, it sounds like boots, but live with it. So they would stay in booths or huts. They would live in booths or... It's not there? Okay, it's Leviticus 23, 33 to 43. Leviticus 23, 33 to 43. That's where you'll find it. Find the fact that the seventh month thing. Yeah, they would stay in huts made of leaves and branches. And uh, that, that would be what they'd practice. In fact, even today, Orthodox Jews will take a week away from either their homes or build it on top of their uh, houses on their terrace. Or some of them even go and live out in the desert where they build these huts made of leaves and branches. And what was the intent? The intent was to remind themselves that there was a time when their ancestors wandered in a hostile desert, but was supernaturally sustained by the presence of God in their midst. Let me say that again. The intent of this feast was to remind Israel that, listen guys, there was a time when our ancestors walked in hostile terrain, in wilderness, in desert, when we left Egypt. But we were so... Maurice, you're right up front, man. Good to see you. You never sit here. Okay. Thank you. I feel very close now. <laughs> so, we were <laughs> so as they wandered through the wilderness, they were supernaturally sustained by his presence in their midst. That was the intent of this feast. And that he ultimately brought them to a land of rest. That he ultimately brought them to a land of rest. That's what the intent was. There was also this future expectation, guys, that even though... These are temporary booths. This is not our rest. 
But there is a rest that our forefather Abraham had spoken of. There is a rest that our leader Joshua had spoken of that is yet coming. And these temporary huts are just momentary. There's a time coming when we'll enter into actual rest. And what the church has done is the church has forgotten that that temporary rest is not where we are supposed to live. That God has created this thing called rest that we can enter into now. And perhaps this week and next week we'll talk about it. Because we talked about it in 2011. And so much more has been added to it since. If you go to Hebrews 4.8, you'll see that. Hebrews 4.8. Hebrews 4.8. I love this verse. 8, 9, and 10. I mean, 8, 9, and 10 is where the church should live. Or where you and I should live. Verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Read it again. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his own. Guys, one of the things that distinguishes Acts 29 from many other churches, not by any stretch are we the best or even the 140th best, but one of the things that distinguishes Acts 29 from other churches is that there's very little works here. Most of the things happen because God directs and we don't know how it's going to work next. But we either stumble along or run along. Very little works here. This is why you can interrupt and shake hands with Maurice. You can have children screaming. You can have comments from Chris and Kamal. Because it doesn't come from a place of works. Remember that. Because that is how the rest of our lives can also be lived. Where we live only by one simple thing. What is the Father saying and try to do that? And increase, increase. Man, I've... I keep coming back to the theme, consuming fire, fan into flames, a passion for your name. Increase. Increase. The name, his influence and character is already present. We need to increase in it. And we increase in it by this becoming less and him becoming more. That's our constant tussle here on earth, isn't it? Guys, So on the last day of the Feast of Tabernacles, so it's a seven-day feast. On the last day of the Feast of the Tabernacles, here's what had happened. And some of you know this. Uh, There would be a priest who would head a procession and they would go to Siloam, which was um, a little pond, and they would scoop water out of Siloam and they would come to the altar in the temple and they would be singing songs from Psalm 113 to Psalm 118. And at some point when they would sing Psalm 118, verse 25 and 26, where it says, Oh God, would you now bring prosperity upon your people? Would you bless Israel? As they sang that, the priest would empty the water from the pool of Siloam onto the altar. And the other rest of the people in the procession would be waving the very branches that would be used to build these booths. And this was on the seventh day. And it is at that moment, go ahead. Psalm 113 to Psalm 118 and at Psalm 118, 25 and 26 when, they, when the priests would sing that or speak that that's when water would be poured out 
And it is at that point where they were saying, Oh God, bless Israel. Let your blessing descend. And it's that point when he's pouring out water that this lone, magnificent figure who we know as Christ today is standing and watching. And there's this cry that comes out from the corner of the temple. And he says, Come to me all that... No, um, out of you shall flow. John 7, 37 to 39. John 7, 37 to 39. What does it say? I read it this morning. Yeah, John 7, 37 to 39. On the last day of the feast, which day are we talking about? We are talking about the feast of tabernacles. On the last day of the feast, the great day, the great day, Jesus stood up and he didn't whisper. He didn't say it matter-of-factly. He cried out, eh? Because he knows what this feast means. He knows what this feast means for the rest of eternity. This is a momentous occasion, guys. It's almost as momentous an occasion as when he said to Peter, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It's that kind of an occasion where on the last day of the feast, as the water was being being poured, Jesus cries out and he cries out and he says that if anyone thirsts, and the water has just been poured out, and he cries out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Here they are pouring, pouring water from Siloam, and he's talking about rivers of living water beginning to issue from you and I. And then it goes on to say, and now this he said about the spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Guys, what Jesus was basically saying was, listen, I'm declaring in what I'm crying out right now, my intent to tabernacle in man. Feast of Tabernacles, what did it represent? It represented the presence of God dwelling in the midst of a people in hostile terrain. And what is Jesus saying? In this world you will have trials, but do not be troubled for I have overcome the world. And that isn't enough, Jacob. I want you to know now my intent to tabernacle in you and in the midst of a people. At the Feast of the Tabernacles, he's screaming this out, shouting this out and saying, Out of you shall flow rivers of living water. The Spirit of God who created everything shall dwell in you to such an extent. Which is kind of what I'm assuming Marcus was indicating when he says, we have all that we need inside us. That him who dwells in us now will pour out of us like living water. What is Christ shouting there? He's saying, Jacob, I have decided to tabernacle in you. I have decided to tabernacle in a people. This is the culmination of the Feast of Tabernacles. No more temporary booths because I have come to reside permanently, permanently in you and in a people. This is the magnificence of this occasion. Speaking of a time to come which we are in. Hey Tavis. Jesus was saying, I am the great Hosanna. Because they would, they, they, this is another time when Hosannas would be shouted and he was saying, I am the great Hosanna. And what does Hosanna mean? Hosanna means... One who comes to save and redeem. I am the great Hosanna. I am your Messiah. I am here to give you the Holy Spirit. You will never thirst anymore. If you recognize me as the one who God has sent to tabernacle in you. You are going pulling out water from a pool called Siloam which means sent. Hey, that represents me. I am the sent one. 
You don't have to go to a pool called Siloam. The scent pool to pull out water anymore. Because I am the sent one. I am the Messiah, the anointed prince, the son of God. And I come to tabernacle in you so that water will come out of you naturally. No one will have to go scoop it out for you anymore. It will be in you and it will begin to flow. Because it's inexhaustible and it just keeps flowing. I have come to tabernacle. This is the culmination of the feast of tabernacles. Everything that God does is so highly logical. Highly logical and yet highly illogical. And they exist in tension, not as contradictions. Gosh. Guys, understanding the depth of God's tabernacling in you. God's tabernacling. Another word for God's tabernacling is God's tenting or God's dwelling. That's what the word tabernacle means. Many churches had to change their names from Pentecostal tabernacle to Pentecostal church because people have forgotten what the word tabernacle means. It's a cool word, but another word for it is tenting or dwelling. And so, if we understand the depth, and I don't claim to, but I'm trying to, of God tabernacling in you, it will shift the way you think. Where we'll begin to move from, in a sense, guys, in a sense, Jesus does not give me healing and life. He is healing and life that is resident in me. Shifts, little shifts like that will happen. And remember, I said this before and I say it again. You cannot practice a truth till you inhabit it continuously in your thinking. You cannot practice a truth till you inhabit the truth in your thinking. As in, till you take your thoughts and plonk yourself in that truth saying, this is where I will sit and this is how I will think. Then you begin to inhabit that truth. You cannot otherwise do it. So this whole idea of, Father, what does it mean to move even from, you are not someone who gives me life, you are the life that is resident in me. You are not someone who gives me healing. You are the healing that is resident in me. I don't even know the length and the breadth and the height and the depth of it, but I know it's a reality. Until I begin to inhabit this place in my thinking, I will never inhabit the truth itself. Why didn't people believe that the world was round? Because they inhabited a falsehood that the world was flat. Which is why they never sailed too far because they were scared that if they sailed any further they'd fall off the end of the world you will practice what you inhabit in your thinking as the truth and so someone has to come along and change it that listen the world is round explain it scientifically and then take the great risk of sailing out and coming back to prove that's one of the things kingdom people do we prove to the world and to the people who belong to the church that this is how the kingdom functions look at our lives see how the kingdom functions this is part of our doing so if you are a pioneer who is starting a new thing understand what you are trying to do you are not trying to do God's work you are trying to present who God is to a people who need to see it evidence 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 I mean, you think that 19-year-old, if he keeps going this way, 20 years from now, imagine what he'll be. He'll be better than all of us, man. Because something was modeled for him.
This is when you will enter into the life of another, guys. Enter into the life of another. Read Colossians 2, 8 to 10. Colossians 2, 8 to 10. Colossians 2, 8 to 10. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the world, not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. Or in other words, guys don't be taken captive by all these worldly ways of thinking. Because remember that in Christ dwells all of God and in you dwells all of Christ. In Christ dwells all of God and in you dwells all of Christ. Doris, in Jesus Christ dwells all of God and in you Doris dwells all of Christ. Frightening man. We have got to inhabit this truth to understand it better. Therefore, we are complete in Him. I had a strange conversation with God on this trip. Um, I'll just read it as it is. If it doesn't make sense, don't worry. I just happened to ask Him on the leg from Dubai to Seattle. Here we go, Abba. How are you? This was just a casual conversation. Here we go, Abba. How are you? And his response was, I am complete, son. And so my question was, what does that even mean, father? Because you never, if you ask somebody, how are you? They don't say, I'm complete. <laughs> you, you say, doing well, or hmm, doing really good, or not doing well. But how are you, father? And his response is, I'm complete, son. And my response is, what does that even mean, father? And then, this is his response, and if it doesn't make sense, I'm not even going to explain it, because I don't understand it fully myself. His response was, when I say I'm complete, it means you are whole and well. You are unspeakably joyful. You are at rest. You are inexhaustibly replete. You are blazingly holy. You are fearless. You are kindly loving. You are wisely counseled. You are divinely enabled to speak and shape the impossible. You are spirit-manned. Everything my son was, you are. His completeness now is my completeness. When I asked him, what do you mean by I am complete? What do you mean when you say you are complete? He responds by saying, Jacob, because I am complete, you are complete. You are blazingly holy. You are inexhaustibly furnished with everything needed, replete in every good thing. You are spirit manned. Let it be. It's Selah. Uh, um, guys, so at the, if you were to sum up the Feast of Tabernacles, it would sound like this. The Feast of Tabernacles is a place where we are sustained by His presence and by His proceeding word. It's a place where we are sustained by His presence. It's a way of living. I don't even want to call it place. It's a way of living where we are sustained by His presence
and by his proceeding word, as in the word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I thought winter had come and I'm sweating. Where we are sustained by his presence and proceeding word. That's the first thing. Guys, and if you're sustained by his presence, it will show. We can't say we are sustained by the presence of God and nothing shows. There's always evidence when God does something. There's evidence in terms of words and in terms of manifestation. So we are sustained by his presence and this proceeding word. Second, the Feast of Tabernacles causes us to seize from exertion and self generated means of sustenance. That's the second thing the Feast of Tabernacles represents. We begin to live lives where we cease from exertion and self-generated means of sustenance. Because why? Because we are depending on and are sustained by His presence and His proceeding word. Thirdly, We let the covenants and principles of God go to work for us. We let the covenants and the principles of God go to work for us. As in, um, I know you've heard this example many times before, as in, God has established a principle called gravity. We let gravity go to work for us. God has established a principle called sowing and reaping. A farmer lets sowing and reaping go to work for us. God has established a principle called every baby will grow up. We let that go to work for us. God has established a principle saying, if you open your mouth and exhale and uh, allow your cords to have air pass over them, sound will come. So we exert that. God has established principles, covenants, mechanisms in the world. We let it go to work for us. What causes your child at a certain time to begin to roll over and start crawling and then walking? God has established it. It goes to work. All that we have to do is make sure that the child is not wound up and bound. It goes to work for us. We let the covenants and the principles of God go to work for us. Guys, it's in difficult situations that we can try this. In normal situations, we are not aware of it. You are never aware of gravity while you walk. We would be aware if it wasn't there. If it wasn't there, yeah, you would be aware. I mean, one of the things they are training astronauts for, there's this uh, American astronaut who's going up to stay for one year at the Mir space station. And the thing that they are most worried about is for one year when there is no gravitational pull on your body, your body begins to react differently. And that's what they're focusing on. It is in difficult times that we get to test this out, guys. The covenants and the principles of God going to work for us. That is when you know that you need something to go to work for us and you go into rest. We'll talk about it some more. It's only 11.10. Don't worry, I won't go to 11.45. And the fourth thing is, guys, um, you labor to enter into rest. You labor to enter into rest. Because it's not natural for you to enter into rest. Man by his very nature wants to do things. 
wants to self-exert, wants to manipulate, wants to come up with machinations that will help, wants to strive, wants to control, wants to enter into war and conflict so that things can be straightened out. Cannot wait to straighten out things. Half of us want to fix the mistakes we make as soon as possible because even looking at the mistake reminds you of how badly you're doing. One of the things that I've had to fight for many years in my life was the urgency to fix mistakes. Three years, maybe three years ago it stopped. But otherwise, if I saw something that I was wrong or that I did wrong or someone did wrong to me, it was important for me to go fix it. Because to keep seeing it not fixed would bother me. Now when I see things, I can let it be and wait till the right moment to fix it. Sometimes two years. So be it, man. You enter into rest. This is what today the Feast of Tabernacles represents for us. Guys, there was a man whose name means rest. Who was that man? Noah. Noah means rest. What a cool name to give him, eh? What a name to give him. Here is a man who's come out of great turmoil. The whole world. I mean, Noah is symbolic of Romans 8.19. What's Romans 8.19? You can say it in Greek if you want, Jason. What's Romans 8.19? Creation has been groaning in f- because it's been subjected to futility. It's been groaning for the revelation of the sons of God. In a sense, wasn't that what happened with Noah? Creation was groaning. It was subjected to futility. And then everything is undone. And then rises one man. And he is named rest. Something new is supposed to happen through him, but he screws it up immediately. But he's symbolic of the, the revelation of the sons of God who can walk in rest. He's given the name rest. The world longs for people who can live like this. And you are one of them. I mean, one of the levels we should ascend into is this level of being at rest. That's one of the levels we should ascend into. Jesus Christ was rest. Completely at rest through everything. And then Hebrews 1.3 says, And then when he had finished everything, he went and sat down at the right hand of the Father. In Hebrews 1.3 it talks about that. He was at rest when he was on earth. He's at rest now when he's in heaven. That's why Hebrews chapter 4 verse 11 says, God has entered into rest. Mohini, come, you enter into rest too. I have entered into rest, God is saying. So Jacob, you come and behave like me. Enter into rest while you're living here on earth. Guys, we have to show this. We have to show this to people. A man of rest lives out... A man of rest lives out... Lives out of the life and works of another. A man of rest lives out of the life and works of another. Let me give you an example. Why is everybody at rest when there are weeds outside? Because we can live out of the works of Joan who will go pull out those weeds. But not everyone has to worry about it. 
Why is it that no one has to worry about how the barbecue is going to work out? Because we live out of the life and works of Heidi who organizes the barbecue. Why is it that you don't have to worry about flipping patties at the barbecue? Because we live out of the works and life of Maurice and Wayne. Why is it that you don't have to worry about preparing a teaching and seeing the order of songs? No one has to worry about that. Because you live out of the life and works of Jacob. Why is it that you don't bring anything to eat to the Bible study? Even when Dagmar is not there. Because we live out of the works and the life of Anne and Kamal. Why is it that you don't even bother asking questions in church? Because we live out of the life and the works of Diana who keeps asking questions. So, even Travis finds that amusing. <laughs> the point being, guys, when you know that something is working well, you don't tinker with it. You live out of the life and the works of another. Got to begin to live like this with Jesus' life. He knows how to do things. When trouble comes, that is when this is tested. I want to tell you something. The devil's attempt always is to bring you out of rest. This is the thing that the devil thrives at. Can I bring this people out of rest? Their God has entered into rest. Their God has invited in them into rest. Their God says he is the prince of peace. And he has even given them peace that passes understanding. So, what can I do to bring them out of this rest and peace? What can I do to bring them into self and flailing? What can I do? What storm can I send that will cause them to ignore the one that lives in their boat? And if I can do that, I can have them for a while and wreak havoc in their lives and make them feel lousy at the end of the day. A man of rest has the capacity to resolve internal conflicts quickly. A man of rest. This is how you test it, guys. This is not being an ostrich. This is not even being smart. Because there are, there are people who can avoid, uh, get into rest by being an ostrich. Bury your head in the sand and the world may be falling uh, around you and you don't even know that your neck has been cut off because your head is in the sand and everything is fine. So I'm not talking about that kind of rest. Nor am I talking about smart rest where we enter into rest by calling up this, that and other person to take care of it but not necessarily going to God as a first resort. That's another kind of rest. The world does that. Managing. Coping mechanisms. Management techniques. That's not what we are talking about. Because that's another way of dealing with it. Eh? Where there's always a medicine cabinet or a banker or a counsellor or rich uncle Harry that you can call. But that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about rest where in times of internal conflict we know how to come into a place of rest. You can face the lion and the bear and the snake all in one day and still be calm. That's how you prove this whole concept of the Feast of Tabernacles working in your life. Not by saying, K Sarah, Sarah, I want to emphasize that. K Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be, is not from the Bible. That is a fatalistic attitude to life that does not trust, but stands and says, do whatever, what's the worst that can happen? 
That is not biblical. That is the antithesis of everything that the Bible represents. Nor is it coping mechanism. We have only one coping mechanism. The Christ. You know, perhaps most of you don't know this, but on Saturday night, um, what's your name? Derek. <laughs> on, ask him about the girls in Kenya and Dubai who wanted to get married to him, eh? Yeah, it's kept that quiet. I thought he'll show pictures on the PowerPoint. Yeah. So, um, um, Derek and I, on Saturday night, we went out for dinner with Mushiri, who was here. And, uh, not this Saturday night, I'm talking about Kenya. And came home and we were working on his tickets and suddenly there was this huge feeling of sickness that swept over me. Like, for one instance, I'm talking to him, the other instance, um, I was so not in the game. Went to sleep, got up next morning, couldn't, hardly could have enough energy to stand up and walk. And I'm supposed to preach. So go to church and preach. And I asked Derek to pray. Derek offered me this colorful looking cake and I said, no, thank you. The color itself was not edible. But he ate all of it. And um, so couldn't eat. Went and somehow stood up and preached and it was bad. He prayed a couple of times, went to the airport, um, got on the plane, went to India, and by now, uh, on the flight, every time I would exhale, I wanted to throw up. So at some point, I began to ask the Lord, Father, this has never happened, you've got to help me, what's happening here? And at some point, I felt the Lord saying, start praying against um, witchcraft that has been practiced. And I rarely pray prayers like that, eh, unless prompted, because we don't live in the fear of the devil, but we are aware of the devices of the devil. And so I start praying, and I hear this sound, man, I'm not kidding you, like whoosh, literal sound of a drain being pulled and the water going down the drain, and suddenly that feeling went away. And then the Lord told me who to bless um, certain people that I uh, remember meeting in Kenya, who to bless even if they had wrong intents. And these were not people from the church, uh, some other situations. I told Derek about it much later. Got to India, and... um, I didn't know that if you come from certain countries in Africa that you need a yellow fever certificate and now they even have a polio certificate you have to have, an oral polio certificate. So had you had the yellow fever certificate, that wouldn't have been enough because in February of 2014, they've asked that you have an oral polio certificate. And so I'm standing there uh, and um, they're saying, won't let you in. And so I stayed at the airport for 20 hours my passports were taken away, and um, I was taken to the uh, health wing, not to be checked, but because that's where they keep people, just in case someone has polio or yellow fever. And here is a situation, and I, I don't feel like eating, because nothing is going down. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, Father, here is where I now begin to practice this principle of rest. And um, people were surprised that I did not react, guys. Over the period of 20 hours, I began to show such kindness to the ones that were involved in my situation that today the immigration, the police, and the health department at Cochin Airport are some of my best friends. They're texting me, guys. Because they, they, at one point they started apologizing because they didn't, they, usually patients or people who are passengers react, and I wasn't reacting. 
I had chocolates. I started distributing chocolates. Everything in my power to do because I knew that two things had to be practiced. One, rest, and two, to show them that there's a different way of approach. So much so that God's favor began to descend. The guy who was in charge of flights began to approach everybody involved so that I don't have to stay inside this room with two hospital beds. And he began to take care of my tickets. He began to take care of everything. Had me removed from there within six hours. Spent 20 hours at that airport, sitting there waiting. I knew my meetings would now be cancelled. I knew I wouldn't be meeting my mum. Somehow I got my bags through to her. And uh, waited there. Nothing would go down. Even when I looked at food, didn't want to eat it. For five days, I couldn't eat. So five days, I had one meal. It shows a little, actually. I lost four or five pounds. Yeah, watch. You can see the jawbone now. So, <laughs> so the point being, for five days, just couldn't eat, guys. And different parts of the body started being afflicted. And when I would pray, it would go, and then it would move to some other part of the body. And yet, Physically, there was nothing. I'm sitting in the health wing and they should know if something is wrong. Outside, you can see nothing. Inside, it was. And kept combating it. Called up a um, couple of people here. Told Heidi, I think. And um, um, in India, they were waiting because there was a meeting. I had to cancel the meeting. And they asked me, should I go? Do you want to sit in Delhi for four days in a quarantined room? Or do you want to come back after... Uh, the six-day period. I said, I, I don't want to sit in a room in Delhi. Because <laughs> one of the immigration guys told me, listen, don't go into that room. People come out with diseases. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I decided to fly to Dubai. I flew to Dubai, stayed there for two days. It cost me. So it cost me a hotel, cost me my airfare back and to and fro. And when I was in Dubai, I was asking the Lord, do you want me to go back or do you want me to cancel this trip and come back to Canada? Because I didn't want to be in a place that I'm not supposed to be. And I felt the Lord saying, nope. I need you to go. Someone came and paid my entire hotel bill. When I went down to pay it, they had paid it. Which was mind-blowing. And later on, uh, someone else came and said, uh, we want to give this money towards uh, any other need you have. And the air ticket was paid for. Uh, an amount of $1,100 was paid for by people who were not asked for it, not solicited, didn't even know at times. The people who paid the hotel bill knew, but the guys who paid the airline bill didn't know. And at the end of the day, after... Five days I come back to India and the moment I land in India and step into this conference hall where I'm supposed to speak, everything goes away. Everything lifts. No pains, no... I mean, there was a time when I was climbing up because uh, in some of the airports they have steps that you have to climb up to get to the plane. My joints would begin to ache to a point where I would be scared that my knees would buckle. That was how it was. But it's in troubled times, guys, that you can test out Rest. It's in troubled times that you can prove that you can enter into this place called rest and be an exceptional uh, kingdom person who displays the kindness of Christ and nobody notices what else you're going through except kindness. I mean, there were hugs, man, when I was leaving. The doctor was hugging me saying, I'm so sorry to see you go. Uh, I hope we meet under better times. Uh, the the, the air, airplane staff... Ah, oh, they were so kind to me. And look at what they did, eh? I, I bought an economy ticket to Dubai and back. And he comes a few minutes before the flight and he says, um, I, 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 I just uh, think I should do this. And he says, I've upgraded you. I said, great, to business. He says, no, I've upgraded you to first. <laughs> so he takes me from, I buy an economy ticket, he upgrades me to first. Why? The favor of God, man. And I wrote to him, I said, you've treated me beyond what an airline person would 
Um, and uh, yeah, that, that's another story. The point being, guys, in troubled times, demonstrate rest. Demonstrate rest. I look forward to going back to that airport because I want to meet my friends. Demonstrate rest. You're talking about policemen, eh? Who had to come out of their way to stamp me and clear me. Demonstrate rest in whatever language you can. I so encourage you to do that. Let's stop here, guys. I'll, I'll just maybe say another one or two lines and then we'll do the rest next time. Bring your offering next week, eh? Think about it. Please don't, please don't. Guys, anything that you offer to God, let it be of some value. So try not to come up with it on Saturday. And if on Saturday you still don't have anything to offer God, then come because you've made an attempt. And just offer Him your lifted hands. But don't not come because you don't have an offering. Because Jesus' parents came with a turtle dove. That's all they could afford. You come with your hands lifted up. If you couldn't come up with an idea or something precious that you wanted to make. Perhaps it's an alabaster flask of Hugo Boss perfume that you want to break over Kamal's head. <laughs> Just that thought occurred to me and I'm sorry, let's... <laughs> yeah, I erase, erase, erase. I take that back. Guys, what I mean is present to him something precious. Present to him something precious. And if you can't, please don't stay away from church. Come and give him your lifter hands and the and like... Maya wrote on that little paper and gave it to me 10,000 reasons to sing like I have never sung before next Sunday. Maybe that's the best I can offer, man. Maybe maybe I can't offer anything like a cake. My cake will stink. And I don't want to do the little drummer boy thing. So let me then just sing my heart out next Sunday. But come with an offering. And don't plan it on Saturday night. That's the only thing I'm asking you to do, not to do. Guys... Um, let's kind of stop. Know this, that, this, that Satan's attempt is to draw you out of rest and out of Christ into self. Satan's attempt is to draw you out of rest and out of Christ into self. That's what he always tries to do, guys. See, rest essentially means that you are seated with him. Rest essentially means that you are seated with him. And so the demonic attempt, the satanic or the devilish intent, is to draw you out of rest and out of Christ. And it is tested only in times of trouble. During times of worship, it's easy to rest, guys. It's easy to rest during times of worship. But what about times of trouble? And sometimes intense trouble. Your troubles are much greater than mine. But when we go through anything, for us it's a big thing, man. It's a big thing. You know how, despite all that I'm saying to you about rest, I'm returning to India from Dubai, and I realize that the doctor has allowed, uh, wrote on a piece of paper, which I didn't have, saying you can return anytime after the first. Because the six-day period would be over. But when I go on the website... I check it, it says six days from the day of departure, not from the day of entry. And I'm thinking to myself, now what's going to happen? 
And as I'm coming in, I have to again go back into this place of rest because there's fear rising in me saying, when I land at this airport, will I have to go through the same thing again? And I see fear creeping up. We have another language of intimidation. Just as the devil has the language of intimidation called fear, we have a language of intimidation called worship. And the language of intimidation called worship, when you begin to engage in it, the fear begins to... The surge dies. And now, in worship, and it doesn't have to be a song, it's a recognition of God, who said that He tabernacles with you. Come to me, you all that are thirsty. He tabernacles with me. In the hostile terrain that I was entering suddenly, I knew the presence of God. And once again, rest has to come in. And then you walk up to the counter and you wait for what is going to happen. And you know that your lines will have fallen in pleasant places and your portion is good. Psalm 37. Your line, the lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Despite my mistakes, despite my messing up, despite me being Jonah, despite me being... Whoever it is that ran away from Tarshish, who was it, Jonah? Yeah, same guy. Despite all that, I know that ultimately the lines will fall for me in pleasant places and my portion is good because my father is good and because anything that comes from him as an inheritance is good. And then he stamps my passport and everything in my body lifts. Lifts as if it was a dark cloud. And my appetite returns. Man, did I pick out the first night. Yeah, I ate well. So, remember the intent is to bring you out of rest. Um, I'm done, Wayne. Um, um,